God designed us for life, an abundant life with Him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Hey, Cross United, it's Pastor Danny here. So glad you've joined us for this online message. We're going to be in John 14, 12 through 14 today, talking about prayer. And while you're turning or tapping in your Bible or your app to John 14, 12 through 14, I want to remind you to go to crossunited.org. And there at crossunited.org, there are two spots on the top menu bar that you can click. The first is on the top left-hand side, which says online check-in. That's a great way for you to connect with our, our church to let us know a little bit more about yourself so that we can get to know you a little better, you can get to know us a little better, and you can fill out any prayer needs you may have. Also there at crossunited.org on the top right-hand side is the giving tab. If you consider Cross United your church home, or you just consider yourself a generous person, we encourage you to give to our church and through our church. As a new church, we are supported in part by sponsors and partners and people and churches all through all over the country. But as we grow and as we mature, we need to become self-supporting. So thank you for partnering with us in that. Also want to remind you, there are a number of ways for you to get plugged into the life of our church. You can uh, come early to the service for setup. Uh, if you have giftings in singing or music, we would love to have you connect to our music team. We are going to be restarting our kids ministry and more on that in just a second. Uh, we have Bible studies happening all throughout the, the, the year uh, for men and, and, and women. Um, we are going to be doing a book drive for a local elementary school, and we are going to be doing an outreach for Easter. So I want to remind you to get a sign from us. You can get one uh, at our church service, or we can drop one off to you, put it in your front yard, and invite friends and family to Easter Sunday. Finally, um, we are restarting, by God's grace, our Cross United Kids Ministry. And so next Sunday, March 21st, uh, we're going to be doing a, a new setup uh, in the room where we're going to be starting our pre-K kids ministry. And so uh, if you're able to come a little bit early on that Sunday, we need a few more people to come and help set up for kids ministry uh, at 9 a.m. on Sunday, March 21st. And then immediately after worship, we're going to be having a servant leader meeting for those who are serving with kids. On Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, then, we are going to be having some special kids activities. And then on April 11th, the week after Easter, we're going to be kicking off our five and under Cross United Kids ministry. So get connected to that. All right. If you got your Bibles, I want to uh, remind you we're in John 14, uh, verses 12 through 14. We're talking about prayer this morning. 
Now, I really enjoy coffee. And uh, I kind of got started on my coffee habit when somebody, when I was in college, gave me a Starbucks gift card. And uh, and I started buying what we would call, a, we called a frou-frou drink, a like vanilla latte or something, an espresso beverage with steam milk and some sort of sweetener and flavoring so that it didn't really taste like coffee. Well, um, that sort of was a gateway drug to me drinking brewed coffee with cream and sweetener. And, uh, and then what, what really changed things for me was a few years later when I was in grad school or seminary and I got a job at a Starbucks store and I learned to drink my coffee black. And, uh, and ever since then, for the most part, I drink my coffee. Um, sometimes I joke and say I drink my coffee like God intended or uh, someone asked me if I want cream and sugar and I'll say, nope, I drink it like a man. And that is I just drink it straight hot and black and uh, and enjoy it and and one of the things I love um, every day is my my morning coffee time where I will sit with my Bible or with the day's news and read read that and engage with that and then drink my coffee um, it's funny many, many studies have shown that drinking coffee a moderate amount of coffee every day is actually uh, good for your health and, and like I said, I enjoy that morning routine of drinking my fresh cup of coffee and, and reading God's word. Um, and, and, and in that time, uh, scripture juices up my soul and um, coffee juices up my body. And, and I, I just, I feel like I'm just moving toward the day, getting ready for the day, enjoying uh, what God is doing, enjoying God's good gifts and good creation. Well, um, recently I saw this technical graph for why coffee uh, does what it does in your body. I'm going to show this to you, how coffee works. Um, and and you maybe, maybe you've seen this image floating around on social media. Um, coffee goes in, some sort of magic happens, and that translates into energy. Now, obviously, this is just lighthearted fun, um, but I think it also captures something about the mysterious nature of our world, the mysterious nature of our consumption um, and, and our own bodies. We don't always know why and how things work. And it also, I think, illustrates the way we often think about our relationship with God and, and specifically following Jesus in obedience and even more specifically engaging with God in prayer. I think, I think we have this vague sense that when we pray, something happens, like God works. But it's sort of like that coffee meme where it's like coffee in, magic, and that leads to energy. And somehow we think prayer, magic, stuff happening. And and I think if we stop and think about it, we know that's silly and that's not how it works. But I but I but I just think we have this this vague sense that we should do God's will and that we should pray and that those two are somehow connected and, and God getting done what he wants to get done in the world are related to prayer. But we have this sort of superficial sort of like meme level understanding of how that works. Well, what, what I think this morning's text is going to do for us is it's going to give us a better understanding. Jesus is going to give us a better understanding of how to work from a place of prayer and 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 how to engage with God in obeying God 
and obeying God through prayer. Jesus drops this brilliant nugget in the midst of his conversation with some of the supporting actors from the story of the gospel. And, and he's been talking with Peter and he's been talking with Thomas and and now he's talking with Philip and Philip asks him, you know, for just a little bit more, if you just show us the father, it would be enough for us. And Jesus responds by explaining that he and the father, they are the exact same God, even though they are distinct persons, that Jesus is the perfect image of the father, that he is the same exact essence of the, as the father. And, and he and the father do the same work and they speak the same words. And then he pivots here in John 14 to talk not about his work and his relationship with God, but our work and our relationship with God. Look what he says here in John 14. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The first thing Jesus tells us here in verse 12 is that believe is a verb, so do something. There in verse 12, he says, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Jesus begins here with this formal statement of his kingly or lordly authority. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is all throughout the Gospel of John. It's, it just indicates with this emphasis that what he's going to say is trustworthy and it has authority over those who are hearing it. And what he says is he, he, he is speaking as the one who acts through his words. He's the one who spoke the world into existence and he is the word through whom the world was made. He is the one who spoke the word to Lazarus who raised the dead. He speaks and things happen. And then he says this amazing thing, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me will do the works that I do and shockingly will do even greater works than these. Believe here, Believe here is an active present reality. It's something that's happening right now in an ongoing sense and in an active sense. Believe is a verbal form here. It, it, it's interesting. In John, he uses this word believe almost a hundred times and he always uses the verb or action form of the verb word. He doesn't use the noun or the thing form of the verb. He doesn't talk about belief as a thing. He talks about believe as an action. And we see here that belief is not just something we have. Faith is not just something that we have, but belief or believing or faith is something that we do. Believing in Christ is the first and greatest calling of the Christian. Remember back in John 6, Someone asks him, what must we be doing? What can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. This is our first and greatest calling as a Christian. And even this believing is itself a gift from God. 
He continues a little later in that chapter, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And here we see something amazing about believing in Jesus, that anyone who believes in Jesus will receive and deploy the power that Jesus is and has along with the Father and the Spirit. That, that remember we saw in just, just a second ago in verses uh, 8 through 11 with his response to Philip, and, and as we just said, that Jesus and the Father do the same work and they speak the same words. The words of Jesus are both his miracles, the, the, this, these miraculous signs that he does all throughout the Gospel of John, but the work of Jesus is also his mission. It is both his miracles and his mission. His mission to become a human being, though he was the eternal God the Son, along with the Father and the Spirit, one God and three persons. God the Father sent him into the world to be born of Mary the Virgin, to come into the world to grow in wisdom and favor and stature with, with God and with men in his human nature, to always obey God and never disobey God, to obey and succeed where Israel and people had disobeyed and failed, to do miracles that reveal the kingdom, that reveal the nature and the character of God and the purposes of God in the world, and finally, to be betrayed, to be arrested, to be tried to be convicted, to be sentenced, and to be executed on the cross. And he did this because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The work of Jesus is both his miracles and his mission, both his ministry on earth and his mission to bring people back to the Father. And he does these works um, and we see that he and the Father do the same works. They are the same God, so they do the same works. We see this in John 5, 19 through 20. Truly, again, truly, truly, I tell you, the, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Finally, at the end of his mission, when he's on the cross, famous words in John 19.30, where he cries out, it is finished. He has finished the work that God gave him to do. We see throughout the gospel of John that apart from Christ, our works are evil, are sinful. Even as the people of God, we do sinful things and we are enslaved to sin. And the greatest work that God requires of us, as we saw, is to believe in Christ. And when we believe in Christ, we then can do the works that Christ does. Not because of ourselves, but because of the power of Christ within us. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. This is why Jesus says you'll do greater works than I have done. Not that, I mean, it, it's ridiculous to even imply or think that he's saying that the disciples are greater than him. I mean, that's just silly because they do these works in his power and in his name. So it's not that they are greater than Jesus, but the greater works 
and, and people have been discussing this for a long time. What, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, well, what it means is defined by the fact that he says, because I go to the Father. What does that mean? It means he's going to accomplish and fulfill his mission. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to go into the ground. He's going to go raised. He's going to be raised from death and he's going to go to the right hand of the Father. And from the right hand of the Father, he's going to breathe out and pour out his Holy Spirit on his disciples so that they will do greater works, both in the sense that they are going to do them in a greater scope and in light of the greater work that Jesus is about to accomplish. You will do greater works than these. All throughout the nations, people will hear the name of Christ proclaimed in the power of the Spirit and believe in Christ to the glory of God the Father. These are the greater works that Jesus is promising to his disciples. There's an interesting pivot in this text because in verse 12, Jesus says two times this word that he uses throughout the gospel, you will do, you will do. You will do my works and you will do greater works. But then in verse 13, it pivots. It pivots where he says twice, I will do, I will do. Because the greater works of the ministry and mission God calls us to do, we can only do through prayer. That's the second thing we see. Don't just do something. Pray there. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What is the name of Jesus? Well, the name of Jesus is the name above every other name. The name of Jesus is the name that he shares with the Father and the Spirit. The name of the singular name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the name Yahweh, the one true and living God, the creator of all things, the redeemer of his people. Jesus is the one true and living God who became a human being and lived a sinless life. This, this is the name of Jesus, the name of the Messiah, the name of the anointed one, the name of the Lord, the name of the King. And he says, if you ask anything in my name. Now, we have to understand that this is not like a magic word, like going to Hogwarts and learning Expelliarmus and learning these magical incantations and just saying it just the right way. There's nothing magical in saying the name of Jesus. Like if I say I want to do something in Jesus' name, it doesn't mean it's going to like magically happen. No, to pray in Jesus' name is to pray according to his person, who he is, and according to his purpose, what he is trying to do. Notice that he says there, so that the, uh, that, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is, this is God's purpose in the world, to glorify the Father in the Son. This is, this is what Jesus is all about. He wants to see the Father glorified in and through his work by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a triune conspiracy at work in our world. To bring glory to the triune God. Remember, we saw that apart from me, you can do nothing. This is, this is what prayer does. It puts us in a posture of total surrender. It puts us in a posture of saying, we need you, Jesus, because we cannot do it ourselves. 
then this this prayer in the name of the person is directed toward the purpose of that person, the glory of God. Now, he promises anything you ask in my name, I will do. And he says it again in verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And he promises this promise to us, but we don't quite believe it. It's so audacious that we're like, okay, maybe. But then then our own experience seems to push against this. But we know this isn't just a slip of the tongue. We know this isn't just a misinterpretation because he says this over and over. I just want to show you a few places. John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my, my words remain in you, whatever you want, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. John 16, 23 through 24, in that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Jesus is making these big, big promises about asking things in his name. But the problem is we've all prayed things and asked for things and seem it's like we didn't get any response. So, so what I want to do now is I want to talk about some of our problems with prayer. In, in our own experience, we almost feel like Jesus's words here are a bait and switch. Because we've prayed for things and not received them. And we've even prayed for things in Jesus' name for what we think is for the glory of God. And nothing happens. Well, I think we see a few things here. What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Well, the first thing is we must pray purely. James 4.3 says, You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. We, we can go wonky in our prayers in three ways. We can ask for the wrong thing, or we can ask for the right thing in the wrong way or for the wrong reason, or we can ask for the right thing in the right way, but at the wrong time. To pray in Jesus' name means that our, our heart is pure and purely aligned with the purposes of God, that we're asking for the right thing at the right time for the right reason. Thomas Aquinas says that we sometimes ask for what we think is helpful but really is not, but God takes care of us and does not do what we ask. There's a, there's a misnomer that we sometimes talk about, call, that we, we, we call prayers unanswered. We talk about unanswered prayers. There's this old Garth Brooks song, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And what we usually mean by that is prayers where God doesn't say yes. But I, I think that there's no such thing really as an unanswered prayer. Because God always says either yes, no, or most often, if we're praying for a good thing, for a good reason, but at the wrong time, his answer is wait. 
His answer is wait. So we must pray purely. We must make sure our motives are, are we're praying for, for things that are according to God's purpose and, and his character. We must pray for them from, from our own pure motives, for his glory, and not just for our own glory or our own enrichment. And, and we have to remember our, our good and his glory are not at cross purposes. They, they, they align in his wonderful providence that his glory and our good align. When he is glorified, we receive good. And when we pray purely, we find sometimes our, our prayer still isn't answered. And that's because, secondly, God wants us to pray persistently. Throughout the scripture, we see the Lord tells us how much he loves prayer, but especially persistent prayer. He wants us to pray until our knees are sore and our eyes are tired and all but hope in him is gone. One beautiful little example of this is in Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. The need to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We must pray persistently. We, 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 we think that we pray one offhand prayer one time. And, and yes, God can answer that, and in his grace, sometimes he does answer that. But God delights in persistent prayer. He delights when we are wearing out the carpet because of our, our knees being buried into it. He, he loves it when we soak the sheets with our tears as we beg him. Why? Because it shows us that our only hope is in him. We must pray purely. We must pray persistently, and we must pray purposefully. We should, we must have a, a plan for our prayer. Now, I think sometimes we have this idea that prayer should always be spontaneous and, quote, from the heart. And, and you know, spontaneity is good, but spontaneity can also be superficial. And something that is planned can be as much from the heart and maybe even more so from the heart because you're putting your heart into it over a length of time and committed to it and persistent and praying for purity in your motives and your requests, we must pray purposefully. We must have a plan. Now, we don't only pray in structured and scheduled ways. We pray spontaneous. We, we pray, you know, just sort of in the moment and let the Spirit lead. Those are important things, but we also must have a structured plan for our prayer or it will not happen. Prayer does not happen on accident. We must learn to pray on purpose. We must learn to pray on purpose. And and I just want to give you a few tips that have been helpful to me over 
my life of walking with Jesus and learning to pray. And I am not by any means an expert prayer warrior. But here's some things I've learned. First, pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Take the day of the month. What uh, Don Whitney, who's written some books on this and was one of my professors in seminary, um, says calls the Psalms of the day. Whatever the date of the, the month is, like if today is the 14th, you take Psalm 14 and then you keep adding 30 till you run out of Psalms. Psalm 14, Psalm 44, Psalm 74, Psalm 104, and Psalm 134. Those are the Psalms of the day. And you pick one and you read through it and then you pray through it. You turn it into a prayer and you pray through it and you let it spark things that you need to bring before the Lord. The Psalms are our prayer book as Christians. Another way to do it is to pray through index or note cards. To, um, to I, I have a, and I learned this from Paul Miller's little book, A Praying Life, which we have in our, our resource table um, for church, where he, he has a, a prayer card for members of his family. So I have a prayer card, and I, I've been doing this recently, and I have a card for the Lord, where I just, I pray and just reflect on his character and pray and just relate to him. And I have a prayer, a prayer card for myself and things I need. I have a prayer card for Laura and our kids, prayer card for our family. I have a prayer card for our church and the name of every person in our church on it and things that I'm praying for about our, our church. Um, I, I have a prayer card for others in the community I'm praying for, other churches and partners and leaders and politicians. Another way to pray is um, through pre-written prayers, like the Valley of Vision or historic prayer liturgies, the 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 like prayer books. This is sometimes used in like traditions like the Anglican tradition and others. And these are great ways to spark your prayer life. Sometimes we don't have the words to say, so we need to use the words of someone else and make them our own words. Like one way we do this is by singing worship songs. These are prayers, someone else's words that we make our own and pray to God. Uh, pray in response to reminders. Um, set alarms. For years, every day at 10.02 a.m., my phone alarm buzzes and reminds me to pray Luke 10.2. The harvest is abundant and the laborers are few. God, please raise up co-laborers, co-workers for your harvest. And he has done that over and over and over and over again. Recently, I've set an alarm for 4.03 p.m. every day where I pray Ephesians 4.3 that we would be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And I pray that for the church in general, but more specifically for our network of churches, the Southern Baptist Convention. And I pray that we would be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that alarm reminds me to pray. Finally, I would encourage you to journal your gap stories. What's a gap story? A God answers prayer story. Because in the midst of so many prayers we feel like go unanswered or where God says no or where God says wait, there are stories and moments and prayers where God has miraculously and unmistakably answered. And the problem is we have a short memory. We have amnesia. We don't remember the prayers that are answered. Part of our problem with prayer is we forget the times where God has answered, where he has responded, where he has said yes, far beyond anything we could ask or imagine. I, I've started 
thinking through and just keeping a list of these stories. And, and I was preparing this message. I, I, I did just list over and over and over big and small ways that God has answered prayer. And sometimes those prayers came in response to a single prayer that I just sort of breathed out in desperation. Sometimes they came, those answers came as I made lists of biblical reasons why God should answer the prayer that I'm asking, trying to purify my motives to be intentional and persistent. And I had an index card where I had a bunch of reasons why God should provide me with a wife or provide me with a ministry or provide us with kids. And I would pray those over and over, over every day, multiple times a day for weeks and months and sometimes years strung together. And then God shows up. And I can tell you, the answers to persistent prayer are even sweeter than the answers to spontaneous prayer. Journal your gap stories. Remember that God does respond to prayer. Whatever you ask in the name of Jesus, he will do it. Pray according to his purpose and according to his person, who he is and what he wants to accomplish. Pray purely, pray persistently, and pray on purpose and watch what God does. Thank you.